It's a good old hymn, isn't it? I like that. There's a, a lovely story about a man uh, getting ready to make an around-the-world uh, voyage in his uh, homemade boat. And, uh, oh, is, is the plug out of the back? Mark, can you pull the USB out of the back and put the uh, thing in for me, please? Thank you so much. And um, without exception, everyone on the pier was very pessimistic about uh, this trip he was going to undertake. And uh, everyone was telling him that uh, this was going to go wrong, that was going to go wrong, the, the sun would then end up drying him up like a prune, and uh, he wouldn't have enough food for the journey and everything, and that boat of yours will never withstand a storm or anything like that, you'll never make it. And uh, a man standing nearby heard all these people just being so negative and discouraging. And he decided instead to offer some words of encouragement. And as the little boat began pulling away from the shore, he went to the end of the pier and began waving his arms frantically and shouting, Bon voyage! You make it! You're really doing something fantastic! We're very proud of you! Good luck, mate! Go on! And I thought about that story, and I thought, well, that's a bit like life. If you think about it, in all seriousness, it is a lot like life. Because in a sense, all of us are like little boats. And we're on a long journey, not knowing if we're going to make it or not. And as we push out to sea, there are some people who just spend all of their time speaking into our lives a pile of negativity. It's so true, isn't it? We find that there are people around us who are just so negative. And now and again, you come across some bright spark who's there. Come on! You can do this. This is brilliant. Go for it. It's a commentary on life. And true that there are so many discouragers and not very many encouragers. Do you find that? Many people are very negative about all sorts of things. Do you know, a three-year study found that most school teachers were 75% negative and critical when they were dealing with pupils. The study also indicated that it takes four positive comments to offset the effect of one negative or critical comment. There's another side to the coin. On June the 1st, 1965, a 13 and a half foot boat slipped quietly out of the marina at Falmouth, Massachusetts. Its destination was England. It would be the smallest boat ever to make the trip. Its name, Tinkerbell. And its captain was Robert Manry. He'd been a copy editor uh, for the Cleveland Plain De Dealer. He'd done that job for 10 years, and I can understand because I've got a, a, an idea what a plain dealer is, but for 10 years, he'd been bored. It sounds like a boring job, doesn't it? He was bored to the core. So he decided he would take a leave of absence from work and follow his dream. Robert Manry 
was afraid. Not of the ocean, interestingly enough. He was afraid of all those people who would try to talk him out of it. Try to stop him going on this trip. So he decided not to tell very many people, just a few close relatives and, of course, his dear wife, Virginia, who was a great support to him and a great encouragement. The trip started. It was anything but pleasant. He spent many sleepless nights trying to cross the shipping lanes without getting run down and sunk. Weeks at sea caused his food to become tasteless. Loneliness caused him to have hallucinations. His rudder broke three times. Storms swept, the, uh, swept him overboard. And had it, had, had it not been for a uh, rope that he was wearing around his waist, he'd never have made it back on board. Finally, after 78 days alone at sea, he sailed into England on August the 17th, 1965. Now, during his many nights, he fantasized about what he'd do once he arrived in England. I'm sure he did. He expected somebody to check into a hotel, eat dinner alone, and the next morning see if somebody like the Associated Press might be interested in his little story. But word of his approach had spread far and wide. And if you know the story, which some of you might, you'll know that to his amazement, and as you're getting an inkling in one of those pictures on the screen, 300 boats and ships of varying shapes and sizes with horns blasting escorted Tinkerbell into port. And in port, 40,000 people waited to welcome him to these shores. I find that an amazing story. Robert Manry became an overnight hero. His story has been told all over the world. But Robert Manry couldn't have done it alone. Standing on the dock was an even greater hero. His wife, Virginia. She'd refused to be critical of her husband, refused to be negative about the trip. She gave him constant encouragement, and he said that that enabled him to pursue and indeed complete the dream he'd held all his life. I think the world needs a lot of people like Virginia Manry, don't you? How would life be for you, I wonder, if you had somebody encouraging you like that? How would it be, I wonder, if in the church we were actively seeking to be like that for one another, rather than at times being quite negative about things? We need words of encouragement. The world needs a word of encouragement. So I want to look with you this evening what the Bible teaches us about the importance of encouragement in life. And dear Alison, I've given her a, a huge passage to read, really. She's going to come and read for us from Acts chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to that? And Alison's going to come and read a section of it for us. And don't worry if it stops abruptly. That's because I've asked Alison to stop where she's stopping. Thanks, Alison. <clears throat> 
from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue went, sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, Yet, in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to give him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. Bless you, Al. Thank you for reading it. And thank you for the way in which you read it as well. Um, I think that, that this passage is absolutely fantastic and, and teaches us a great deal about encouragement. So I just want to encourage you uh, to come with me uh, through this passage. Maybe you can keep your Bible open uh, on your lap or by your side and just look at it with me. I think really this uh, passage has three key things to tell us about encouragement. Uh, the first is that encouragement uh, needs to be spoken. It really does need to be spoken. Uh, it deals with good news. And the third thing is that ultimately it leads people to God. I think, I think that's what encouragement really should do. And I, we see that in this passage, and I think this is a real word for us uh, this evening. So the first thing, let's just notice this. Encouragement has to be spoken. Uh, when I hadn't been in ministry very long, I woke up one Monday morning terribly hoarse and uh, my glands and my throat and it was just raw and it was really really bad and uh, I, I can remember you know blokes isn't it you know we're whingers aren't we but anyway my wife persuaded me to go to the GP 
So I went to the GP back in the day when you could ring the GP and get an appointment on the same day. Do you remember those days? Yes. And I can vividly remember staring at the doctor's face as uh, he sat there examining me. And I was just looking for a clue, you know. What on earth was this? I'd never had anything like it. He was expressionless. Dr. MacArthur, I can remember him now. And uh, he told me to come back the next day. Well, flip me. I don't know what that would do to you, but to me, that was like, oh, there's something wrong here. Well, I didn't sleep. I was tossing and turning on. Oh, I think about it now. It was silly, wasn't it? And I went back the next day, and I went in to see him, and he's examining me, and I managed to croak him, tell me, tell me what it is. And he said, you talk too much, shut up. <laughs> he did. Many of the people in Corsham didn't like Dr. MacArthur because he had no bedside manner. I loved him. And his um, father-in-law was a very famous Welsh preacher who had a church in central Bristol. And uh, Dr. MacArthur told me that I was suffering from something that many teachers and lecturers and preachers get. And that is, I had laryngitis. And that the best thing I could do was just shut up. Yeah. So that's what I had to do. And I was wondering about this this week as I was preparing for tonight. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder, is that so much of a problem for us this, in this day and age? Because I think, actually, we speak an awful lot. I think we don't have a problem with being hoarse. I think a lot of us have very, very clear opinions. And we are, quite frankly, going to let everybody know what they are. And the more we keep talking at times, the deeper the hole we dig. Do you ever find yourself in a situation like that? You ever been with a child and you're just thinking, shut up, you're making this worse for yourself? You teachers must have had this experience. Sarah's always telling me that she's sitting there in front of a child that she's trying to discipline and she's thinking to herself, shut up, this is going to get worse for you. If you don't shut up, this is going to get, oh, I can't believe you said that. And that's true for a lot of us. We just have verbal diarrhea, and we come out with stuff. James, in chapter 3, verse 2 says, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. One of the easiest ways to sin is with our gobs. Do you find that? Oh, come on. I'm not alone, am I? It's true. We've seen this umpteen times when we've been looking at Peter's life. If ever we've looked at Peter, we talk about foot in mouth. He, he was great at doing that. But the truth is, a lot of us are quite good at that as well. In Proverbs chapter 10, in verse 19, it says, When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. One of my favorite radio programs is Radio 4's Just a Minute. Anybody listen to that? Yeah, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. 
It's a panel game in which contestants are challenged to speak for one minute without hesitation, deviation or repetition. And Nicholas Parsons is the uh, host, and you can see in that picture Giles Brandreth. Now, he's very good at this. He's got the gift of the gab. Uh, sometimes it's verbal diarrhea, but he, he, he's got a way with him. Paul Merton is another one who's very good at being able to talk about a subject without hesitation, without deviation, and without repetition. You ever play that game when you were a kid? Maybe you still play it. Now, it's a good game to play with children. You mustn't say yes or no. You ever played that? Who said yes? <laughs> See? It's a brilliant game. I love it. Someone asks you a series of questions, whatever you say, you must not say yes or no. But the truth is, most of us, well, we hesitate and deviate and repeat and we say whatever comes to our minds. Do we ever weigh our words? I heard somebody once say, the trouble with talking too fast is you may say something you haven't thought of yet. <laughs> I think that's so true. So if we're going to say that encouragement needs to be spoken, we need to realize that the tongue is a dangerous thing. Another time I remember somebody saying, the real art of conversation is not only to say the right thing at the right time, but to leave unsaid the wrong thing at the tempting moment. Have you stuck your foot in your mouth lately? When was the last time you took a speech examination? By that I mean, when was the last time you thought about your speaking habits? I'm not talking about grammar. Talking about the words that you speak to others, the manner in which you speak them. Some people use mean words and speak them to other people in a mean way. And I think it's a real challenge, isn't it? To speak better. I know I've been challenged in this area just recently. You know, ringing up solicitors and estate agents about the sale of my mother's home and you get a 16 year old on the other end of the line and you just have to be so careful with what you say one of the easiest ways to sin is with our gobs and yet the irony is one of the easiest and best ways to bless people is with our gobs with the words that we speak, the things that we say. We can speak such encouragement to people. We can speak such joy over people, such blessing into people's lives, can't we? When I think about some of the things that some of you have said to me that have greatly blessed me and encouraged me. When I think about things other people have said to me, my word. Some people are brilliant at writing things. It's lovely to get a letter or a card through the post, isn't it? With texting now, that's brilliant as well. It's great to have a, a word of encouragement sent to you by text or on a WhatsApp. But there's nothing quite like just bumping into somebody and somebody saying something to you that really blesses you. 
It's funny that, isn't it? Out of the mouth can come curse or blessing. Well, actually, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Acts chapter 13 is a fantastic passage. And in verse 15, I don't know whether you picked up on it, if you've got your Bible in front of you, why don't you take a look at verse 15? Because it says there, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. It's almost like if you haven't, please shut up. If you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. I just, I want to encourage all of you as I encourage myself. Let's bring messages of encouragement for each other. Let's deliberately speak encouragement into one another's lives. Blanket out, we could do with it, couldn't we? Let's look to do that. Let's look to speak this week, very deliberately, encouragement over others. It's easy to discourage or to put people down, but let's think this week, how can we lift people up? If you've got a message of encouragement, please speak. Paul, Paul got this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. He said, look, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Speaking words that build people up, that, that should be our goal. I gave him a piece of my mind. Well, is that godly? It's easy to tear down. It's hard to build people up. Got to work at it. Take special care and attention. No wonder Paul would say in Colossians chapter 4, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We need to work hard at it. It doesn't come naturally. We need to speak graciously. If you have a message or a word of encouragement, please speak it to others. If not, shut up. If you have that message, it needs to be spoken. And what a lovely thing to think about as we go into tea and coffee in a little while. You know, why, why don't we go in there and try and encourage somebody? Try and speak to somebody. You're all going to be all over each other now, aren't you, tonight? Right? You know, but it'd be a great thing. I'd love to hear it more in the corridors. I'd love to let it reflect in my life as, as I go to, I don't know, to meetings or to, you know, meetings. <laughs> or to meetings. The other thing, I think, encouragement has to be spoken, but it deals with good news as well. Encouragement is, is wrapped up with good news. That, that's an important thing to, to understand. If you turn back in your Bible to this passage, just, just look at verse 16, for instance. I just want to take you through a, a snapshot of this passage, just a whirlwind tour of it, really. So we start in verse 16. Uh, standing up, Paul motioned with his hand. He said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Verse 22, 
after removing, so he's giving a history now of how God has been working. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. And then we go on to verse 38. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. There was a story back in 2007 about a man hiding his lottery winnings from his wife about half a million quid. So she sued him. She sued him in an attempt to get the money. So here's a guy who for years spent marital money on the lottery and on gambling, and he always lost, and then he finally wins, and he's trying to keep it from his wife. How low is that? And you know what? It's also pretty low for us to keep good news from other people. It could be any kind of news, or it could be the best news. Heard a brilliant story just this week. A guy and his wife went to a fancy Chinese restaurant, and uh, they had handwritten menus with fancy Chinese calligraphy, you know, whatever you call it, on them. And the woman was so impressed with this, she took the uh, menu home, and she spent months knitting a sweater with these Chinese characters down the front. Have you heard about these people who've had tattoos done along these lines? Anyway, she was wearing this fancy sweater at a cocktail party, apparently. Why she went in a sweater to a cocktail party is a different. There was a Chinese doctor there who went up to her and he asked her, where did you get those symbols from? To which she replied, I got them from a menu. Do you know what they say, he said. I'm nervous to ask, she said, but tell me anyway. Quote, cheap but good. <laughs> Imagine going around with a sweater on you that says cheap but good. Cheap but good. That's me. I, I love a bargain. I've told you about this. Poundland. Come on, who doesn't like a blinking bargain? There are things in Poundland you cannot buy for a pound in other shops. You can get them a lot cheaper. I found this out the other day. Paracetamol, they sell for a quid. You can buy them for 35p in Tesco. How does that work? Anyway, other things in there. Fancy sure deodorant spray. A pound! £2.37 in Tesco. It's brilliant. I love Poundland. A store where you can buy brand name items for a quid. Now suppose I found another store where you could buy brand clothing at only 20% of the regular price. All right, 200 pound suits for 20 quid. What if I found that shop and never told you? Steve Hayward would be livid. Nyron wouldn't care if it was a suit, but if it was a hoodie or a fancy t-shirt, he'd be there, sir. But imagine if I didn't tell you. 
Imagine something like that. Some of you couldn't care less. Others of you would feel slighted, cheated, or even hurt if I didn't tell you. Wonder how people are going to feel towards us when after this life is over, they discover we never bothered to tell them the good news about Jesus. Right now, some of them couldn't care less, but at key moments in life, people often ask questions. We have incredibly good news, which is such an encouragement to the world. It's what the world needs to hear. People in Risca, people that you work with, people that you rub shoulders with in your neighborhood, in your community, your next door neighbor, people in your family, they need to hear this good news because it is wonderful news, the best news, and it's going to be such a blessing to them and such an encouragement to them. We have this news. We need to share it with others. We need to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Encouragement has to be spoken. It deals with the good news. And ultimately, it leads people to God. Back again to Acts chapter 13, you'll see in the passage... If you, if you go on a little bit from what I deliberately asked Alison to read, if you go on to verse 42 and have a look down there, you'll see as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to consider in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. You go on a little bit to verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. That was it, wasn't it? The encouraging words that had been spoken by the apostle, brought people good news. He told them very clearly, he spoke plainly to them about how God had dealt with the Jewish people through the time period of, of the ancients and how history had brought about the coming of Jesus. And he shared this good news that Jesus, the Savior of the world, was now available and he's pointing the people now towards God. That's what encouragement should do. They were urged to continue in the grace of God. They gathered to hear the word. They were glad. They honored God's word. To me, this says that, says that encouragement has to lead to God and always point to him. It said that the conversation drifted back and forth about the nature of God, the universe, and man to some lighter questions, and suddenly Einstein lifted his head, looked up to the skies and said, we know nothing about it at all. Our knowledge is but the knowledge of school children. His friend asked him, do you think that we shall ever probe the secret? 
Possibly, he said, we shall know a little more than we do now, but the real nature of things, that we shall never know. Never. I'll make a bold statement to you. Einstein was wrong. And that's because he was looking in the wrong place. He kept looking at the universe, trying to figure it all out, when he should have been examining the Word of God. I was doing a little bit of research the other week and uh, discovered that there's a, a certain Aborigine tribe uh, that don't know how to count beyond three. So they will say, one, two, three, enough. One, two, three, enough. They've a limited horizon of material things. Their desires just don't go beyond three. And I was thinking about that. Can you imagine if we trained ourselves that we would say that God was enough? I wonder what that would do. I wonder how that would bring encouragement rather than us feeling we've always got to go after the latest thing, chase the dollar. What if God was enough? The most important thing we could ever know, the most important thing we could ever possess. I think he is. When you take away everything that Sarah and I have, we are left with God. It's not about our clothes. It's not about the lovely manse that we live in. It, it's not about the new wallpaper that we've just had. It's lovely wallpaper that I put on the walls. Lovely. It's not about the nice car that I drive. It's not about the sketchier shoes that I wear. No, it's, it's none of that. It's not about the food I'm going to enjoy when I go home. I better text her. I hope she's done that. I'm left with God. He is my sufficiency. And so encouragement has to ultimately bring you to that point of just knowing that God is your everything. He's the one that truly matters. I wonder if, he, if you can say that tonight. That when everything else is taken away, he's your sufficiency. One, two, three, enough. God, enough. Are you familiar with the, the writer Chuck Swindle? A prolific Christian author. And uh, he wrote a book, Christian Life. And he says this in that book, and I wanted to just finish with this this evening. He says, I am more convinced than ever that life's major pursuit is not knowing self. Here's a word for today's culture. But knowing God. As a matter of fact, unless God is the major pursuit of our lives, all other pursuits are dead-end streets, including trying to know ourselves. They won't work. They won't satisfy. They won't result in fulfillment. They won't do for us what we think they're going to do. You never really begin the process of coming to know yourself until you begin the process of coming to know God. So I want to ask you tonight as we finish, do you know him? Because I think the biggest word of encouragement I can give you tonight is this. He loves you. And he has demonstrated that in sending his only son, Jesus, to die for you. 
Because, you see, humanity had become separated from God because human beings had gone about things their own way, thinking they knew better. And a holy God, well, he couldn't have that decontamination going on. He couldn't welcome people into his holy of holies if people were unclean because they had done stuff that they shouldn't have done and said stuff they shouldn't have said and thought stuff they shouldn't have thought. That had to be dealt with. It had to be cleaned up. Punishment had to be dished out for it. So Jesus comes and he becomes your and my substitute. So here's some more good news for you. God loves you so much he sent Jesus to die when you deserve to die. To be punished when you deserve to be punished. That God would heap all the wrong of the world, the wrong that you've committed, I've committed, every one of us, upon Jesus and deal with it once and for all upon a cross. And here's the good news. It gets even better. Not only does God love you enough to send his only son to die for you, he loves you enough to give you a place in heaven. A place with him in eternity. Where today, the man who died on a cross for you is very much alive, thank you very much. Because I've got some more good news for you. Some great encouraging news for you. Uh, the Jesus who died rose again. And tonight, tonight, he is present by his spirit, waiting for you and me to come to know him and to honour him and to appreciate him and to respect him and to worship him with all of our being. Now I'm speaking these things because it's a word of encouragement. I'm telling you the good news and ultimately I'm pointing you towards God. And I long that all of us would try and do this more and more. That we might be good witnesses for Jesus. That we might be good encouragers. Because everything revolves around knowing God. Chuck Swindle was right. I have gotten to know myself far more because I've gotten to know God far better. Nothing in life makes real sense unless it's connected to knowing him. Someone said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I might not forgive you. Encourage me, I will not forget you. Friends, we need to be in the encouragement business. If you have any message of encouragement for other people, please speak it over a cup of tea in a moment. God bless you.